Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. One ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. Fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And I am super pumped for this episode today. <laughs> Most hyped. We are doing a, a Lord of the Rings analysis, which yes. is one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Of I all think time. I, I, I narrowed that yeah. down pretty far. I would say it's one of the greatest stories. I, I don't know which one you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Yeah, I think gonna... I've done the most prep for this one so far. I've thought about other ones. Like I've, I keep playing like this is the most prep. No, this episode, Lord of the Rings, is the one I've done the most prep. For. I just kept going. I just yeah. didn't stop. <laughs> Never so, enough prep. So we're gonna have to make sure that this stays under six hours. Okay, yeah. I can do that. I'm gonna okay, get I'm, gl- I'm glad that makes one of us. <laughs> At least you're confident. So yeah. it's your job to edit it. You'll cut it all down. Ah, uh, yeah. Ooh, time. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but before we do that, uh, let's let's uh, let's start with what we're drinking so Dalton what's on your flight tonight yeah so my flight so I am starting with another recommendation from Charles so way back when we did our game masters interview with uh, Charles he, he recommended um, redemption bourbon and he recommended it because um, I had said that I liked high rye bourbons that weren't actually a, a rye whiskey but were a bourbon um, with just a high rye content so redemption bourbon I'm drinking the straight bourbon whiskey um, this one has 21% rye in the mash um, and 75% corn with the remainder being barley. Um, it's a, it's actually one that's kind of, there aren't a lot of distilleries in Indiana, but this is one of them. It is distilled and bottled in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Represent. Represent. Where's Lawrenceburg? I have no idea. Dude. Okay, cool. Not yeah. a clue. <laughs> okay. But it's in Indiana. I know that. And actually, so far, I am really enjoying this. So this is like a, I think I picked this up for like $22 or something. This is like their lowest end. That's like really cheap. Yeah, like very bourbon. cheap. Exactly. Or for a whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I like saw it at like 23, I was like, oh, like, is this going to be <laughs> you know good at all? I think like the first thing that I get is that it is extremely smooth up front, which is like kind of rare for a rye, a high rye, right? You would expect that to be kind of spi- like peppery or spicy, but it's like smooth, like honey, like nectar right at the front. Um, so like a lot of that corn and, and the kind of key flavors of bourbon come through. Um, and then it like sort of very slowly develops like a peppery or spicy flavor as it goes on. And then it, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it kind of like has that like in the middle and then it like finishes that way. So it's like a really, it's not like, like last episode I was complaining, right? Cause it was like <laughs> too much spice. It just smacked yeah. you in the face <laughs> and like, you couldn't breathe with how much, but this is not that way. It starts off with that like kind of cool, smooth nectary flavor. And then like goes from almost like a honey into like a, like a black pepper kind of flavor. Oh, very cool. So it's, especially at its price point, like this is ridiculously good. I think at okay. its price point. Cool. Um, and so I think for anyone who's wanting to try some of them, that have like that little bit of spice in them. This is a really good one to try because it's going to be cheap. And even if you don't like it, like you didn't blow a whole bunch of money on it. Kind of. What thing. was it called again? So it's Redemption Bourbon, and this is their straight bourbon whiskey. They have a bunch of other ones that'll be like Redemption High Rye or Redemption like blah blah blah. It's they got a whole bunch. This is actually it's the same people that own uh, Bullet. So like Bullet oh, Bourbon or Bullet it. Rye. Okay, yep. Yeah, this is just the same people. So, anyways, that's what I'm. Gonna have to I'm, try that. Yeah, I have to try that. You one. will. <laughs> it's a good one. I like it so far. Cool. What are you drinking? So I am drinking another beer from Athens, Georgia. So one of our listeners, Amram, 
brought a beer for us or for me to drink on the episode or on the uh, podcast. And this one is also from Creature Comforts, which is the one that I had the Tropicalia from. Yeah, the, yeah. One, the Thor beer. The Thor beer. <laughs> and so th- this one is called Automatic Pale Ale. So it's not an IPA. It's just a pale ale. Okay. It's a little bit lower in the ABV. It's a 5.2%. And it's uh it's not very bitter. It's it's a more of a fruity pale ale. And so the way that they do that, it's it's, it's a mix of a mosaic and crystal hops that give it that fruity feel, okay. which is which is nice. Like it, it's a nice and refreshing one. Even though we're getting into like you know fall, yeah. Do you want the heavier beer? This one's this one's still really nice. It's, I think we have like four days left in summer. Or something I think like so. That so yeah, yeah. It's still a summer beer. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah. So the uh, the SRM on this is about five. So it's okay. a little bit lighter yeah. than. Like my typical like dark brown or amber ale. Yeah. It's more towards the pilsner side of color. Okay, and um, just because it was it was kind of fun. I looked it up. The uh, automatic pale ale. The the name comes from. It's a reference to a slogan from a local restaurant, um, Weaver D's in Athens, Georgia, that inspired. Uh, one of REM's most prolific albums, Automatic for the People. Oh, very cool. And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, a really cool story. Yeah. So and they have a lot of different, just like, what I've really liked about Creature Comforts is that every single beer that I've had from them, they have one of those stories from. Yeah. So like, you know, Tropicalia was the mix, the reggae, which I That's still right, never yeah. looked up. I, I never have looked that up. <laughs> so I need to do that. You don't have to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm going to definitely be drinking more than one tonight. So awesome. <laughs> yep. Especially considering. Yeah, we're gonna have to pace ourselves because we want to have like a good in-depth discussion. Um, but if it goes too long, then and we're drinking too much. And then, you know what I really like? <laughs> and then it's not gonna be good. Yeah. So yeah, pacing ourselves on the on the flights tonight is in, is key, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh. What well, what have you been reading recently? So like, what's been on your mind? What's the fantasy realm of Dalton look like recently? Yeah, I have a I have a couple ones, and so um, I wanted to give an update at the end of the last book episode. I had been talking about um, the Gunslinger, the first one from the Dark Tower series from Stephen King. Yeah, um, kind of his. It's actually a seven book series. I did look that up. Oh goodness! Yeah, it's longer than I thought. <laughs> That's um, a big bite to take. It is a big bite to take. <laughs> um, it's sort of like fantasy western. It still has like some horror elements, but it's not written to be a horror. But it is probably dark for fantasy i would say okay i think overall i i liked it i just didn't love it it didn't have a ton did you finish all seven no no no, no sorry oh. I just, i'm just talking about the first book okay yeah i was like whoa yeah 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 i just read um the gunslinger and i'm not sure I'm, i might go back at some point and read the rest of them but right now i was like eh, there's other things i kind of want to read did it feel kind of like it was a complete just with the first one no uh, yes and no so it had like a complete story but it definitely like it sort of revealed what the rest was going to be like right at the end of the book. Okay. And I was Got like, it. that's a really cool idea. I just like, didn't know if I was like, I don't know if I really want to pursue that as like, that's what <laughs> the rest it's of the a series big is going to be. Yeah. Right? It's a big commitment. Yeah. And that's what the rest of the series is going to be. And I'm not sure I liked it. Um, and I wasn't like super crazy about the main character. Like he like did some things like where it's like, okay, you're not quite a hero, right? Like may, like yeah. you have some like maybe anti-hero to, and, but it's like the first book, maybe he kind of built in some of those flaws. And like the point is for him to kind of like overcome that like later, but he was already like kind of fully powered and he, like ended up just kind of being a dick <laughs> you know and so it was like i didn't like love him as a character i guess and so it was hard to and he's like the only character it's like just him sounds like someone i can relate to though <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about the man in the mirror that that that's it yeah that's we're gonna it. get shut down if you keep singing yeah that's for sure <laughs> we want to cut that yeah. i wonder if i wonder if people who are listening maybe some people have read it and can give us a little bit of insight on if it is worth 
continuing. Yeah, for sure. Because I think the thing that I was kind of missing is like, okay, what's going to happen with this character? You know, I think we both yeah. read fantasy for the character growth and for like kind of that intimate relationship that you develop with the character. And I just didn't feel myself doing that with this character. So I would be interested to hear like, you know, what does his arc kind of look like? What is his like personal development and how he like kind of morally changes over the course of like the books? Or if he doesn't, then I maybe don't want to read it. Yeah. So if you have read them, let us know. <laughs> let us know for sure. Um, I also finished the third book of the Earthsea. It's, uh, I don't know if it's a saga, cycle. I forget what the, I think it's cycle. Because it's like five books and then like a sixth book that's like a bunch of short stories. Um, but the third book was actually, it was originally intended to be a, a trilogy. And so it sort of ends and then she like wrote more later kind of thing. Did you, have you gotten past the third book? Uh, not yet. I definitely will. Okay. I, I really okay. enjoyed like all three books. And this is the one that I had said was sort of like Name of the Wind meets Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right. Because it has a soft magic system, but the main character is like the user of the magic. But he's really only the main. You only hear his perspective in the first book. In the next two books, it's actually other characters. And he's like a main character, but you aren't following the story from his perspective anymore. Gotcha. You're just kind of seeing other people. Yeah. Whenever authors go past their what yeah. they what they've planned that always makes me a little nervous so it i'm does, excited yeah. to see i'm, I'm excited I'm to interested. hear what you think yeah. i'm interested for that exact same re- a little wary maybe for that exact same yeah that's reason. a good that's a good word yeah. yeah but definitely the first three i really enjoy they're pretty short pretty easy to uh read and that's uh, ursula k Le Guin is her name oh okay yeah it's a fancy cool. name and she might be the bad guy in the little mermaid i don't know um the last thing that i wanted to mention um is i started uh, the last or actually i finished uh, the last wish which is the first book in the witcher series Oh, okay. And when I looked this up, this was actually super confusing. So, like, the order that, like, because this is actually kind of a prequel. And it's basic, but it's like a prequel that everyone recommends that you read first. um, Because it introduces Geralt, who's like the Witcher, right? The main character. And it most, most of the episodes from the Netflix adaptation come from this, this book. And it's sort of a series of short stories that kind of, like, introduces him as a character. Oh, very cool. So it feels okay. very like a TV show. Like it feels sort of episodic where it's like, okay, there's like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. Um, but each of them like have this great arc. They have like this really interesting like creature or monster or something that he's trying to overcome. Um, so it was extremely enjoyable. But that like when you like look it up, it's like, what's the first book in the Witcher series? And everyone's like, well, technically it's like, you know, and then like this whole timeline discussion comes out. <laughs> feels it gets like really a red wall. Conf- yeah, exactly. It gets really <laughs> confusing. But this is the one, the last wish that everyone said you should probably read this one first. Have you ever played the Witcher games? No, I never have. Huh. I never have. But it's so cool that it's like, you know, um, that it is. It's, it's everything. It's everything. It hits yeah, all three it's media. It's the full package. Yeah, yeah, the full package. There aren't like a ton. Lord of the Rings does that. But there aren't right a ton of things that get both a. Uh... Well, actually, no, it doesn't have a TV show, does it? I started to say that it does all three where it has a book, a TV show. It has a book, a movie, I guess, and a video game. Yeah. But I, I think Amazon is doing a Lord of the Rings TV show. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing um they're doing a prequel, right? Like they're doing. I have no idea. Something from the summer. I don't know. I, we actually probably should have looked that up in, <laughs> in preparation for this episode. But um, but I know that they're not doing like the fellowship. Like there's not going to be, it's not a remake, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something else. And then obviously I, I did a bunch of like Lord of the Rings stuff. I watched the extended versions um, and I reread, I reread Fellowship of the Ring earlier in the year and I've gotten like halfway through Return of the King in preparation for this episode. So Very cool. That's what I've read in the last four weeks. That's a lot. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading in the last four weeks. I've been excited. All the books were like good and excited. I wanted to keep going. So what about you? So outside of Lord of the Rings, because, you know, I, I also did a lot of preparation for the Lord of the Rings, you know, reading through those. I've been doing rereading through Pendragon. Nice. Yep. And so I'm in book nine. 
So that's why Audible keeps like suggesting <laughs> them to me. It's like you know what book you would like. It's like I'm reading Lord of the Rings. What are you talking about? You yeah. Through, so wow, I, nine of them. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those because I kind of know the story that I can just put on in the background. I don't necessarily have to. T- yeah. Uh, spend a hundred percent of my attention on sure. it. And so that that that's been a lot of. A lot of fun. That's like, awesome. I was hoping, I was like, ooh, I kind of want to finish the entire series between last book episode and this book <laughs> four episode. Four weeks. And I... The books get longer, though. So the books get longer. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm about four hours into nine. Okay. okay. And, like, just, like, going back through that series, it's... This is the third time... Or this is the second time I've read all of them. I read book, like, one through seven, and then I caught up to it, and I kind of forgot about it. Right, yeah, because it was I re- still coming out. Yeah. yeah, and then I reread... One through ten, I did one through ten, and this yeah. is my second. I think we time. did that like together in yeah. college. We did that, that same was, time. Yeah, that was like like I was in training at work. Like that, I, I that's had right. Just yeah, started. yeah, yeah. You were you were in training, and I was in my fifth year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then so this is my second time rereading through the entire series, mm. kind of knowing the spoilers, and you know it, I didn't read it ten years before. Yeah, and so it, it's been a really fun and like DJ McHale, who's the author, does a really good job of. I think St. Dane is just such an interesting villain, and it's so well planned out. Yeah. So, like, you can see things that are revealed in book nine in book one, yeah. which I think is just really, really impressive. Absolutely. And so it, it's been really fun, like, reading through all of that. Yeah. Um, Do you have a favorite book? Damn it. I, I was thinking about this on the way up. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I hope he doesn't ask me. Uh, <laughs> um, I heard your thought. <laughs> oh, I okay. So when I first read him, I thought it was... Uh, Lost City Far, the second book, yeah, which takes place on Coral. Yeah. But I think that should be because I like Coral. I don't necessarily mm. like the story all of that much. Yeah. Now that I reread it, okay, that's fair. But I I just finished The Pilgrims of Rain, mm. which is book eight. Yeah. And I really like that one. That one's and really. Good. I can't go into why I like that one so much, but it's like yeah. it definitely feels like you're entering the end game at that, and then. You know, book nine and ten are kind of the end game. Of, yeah, yeah. Of the whole battle, it feels for like Hala. the Half Blood Prince in that way. Yeah, like there are some parts in that book where I'm just reading and like or listening, and I just get chill bumps. Yeah. Right, like I'm just like, oh, that was so well done. Yeah, and so that 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 one was really good. But that, and then the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which I just saw yesterday, and this is kind of well, it's a video game, but it kind of goes into harry potter so harry potter uh legacy or hogwarts legacy is the new harry potter rpg that is coming out mm-hmm. for the next gen consoles and pc okay and it looks so cool <laughs> like, <laughs> like like i i watched the trailer the trailer so we're recording on thursday the trailer came out yesterday on wednesday which is the 16th okay i think i watched like three or four times because oh wow but like it, it is like a fully immersive like you start at hogwarts and then you leave hogwarts and you can build your character any way that you want and it looks very cool. exactly like what i want in a game and i, I showed it to my wife and she's like we can't buy this we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna quit our jobs if we buy this but it, it's like it's it's the only game in probably five to ten years that i'm like i need that game yeah like Whereas, that interested in yeah that's really cool but it, it feels very much like a uh, like any RPG, but like um, I, I don't play a lot of RPGs. Sure. But it's like you know the third person, yeah, kind of following around, and you can build your character how you want. Gotcha, like Fable or something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So exactly like Fable. And oh man, dude, I'm like the music in the trailer too. I'm just like yeah, woo, <laughs> <laughs> like let's go. So <laughs> you're a wizard, Nelson. Let's go. <laughs> Yay, I did it. <laughs> Everything I've ever wanted in my life. <laughs> no, but. 
but I think that's coming out next year. Very and cool. so I will buy it when I retire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and so that, that'll be a nice retirement gift. There you go. But Good it looks you. epic. I mean, cool. just like, yeah, we'll have to watch the trailer. We'll have to watch the trailer after for this. Sure. Because, oh, yes. I just, I want it in my life. You want to hop into uh, icebreakers? Icebreaker time. Let's do it. Let's do it. So last week we talked about the icebreaker, which was the board game icebreaker, which was submitted by Amram, who provided the beer. So, Thanks, buddy. <laughs> woohoo! Um, yeah. So he he asked what was the best competitive game for new players, or what was the best competitive gateway game. And I said between two cities, and you said Splendor slash Catan. Mm-hmm. And this was another one where we got a good amount of responses and no duplicates. Oh, awesome. So, which I thought was really interesting because yeah. I think that, you know, there's, you can almost put it in a multiple choice question. Of, you almost could, yeah, yeah like four like, or five. Yeah. yeah. So, here, here are some of the top ones. We got Sin Jakuba said Splendor. So, agrees He's with right. you. Agrees yeah. with you. Nas Toki Oronki said Lost Cities. Which have you played Lost Cities? No, I I, th- I know the like look of the game, but I've not I've not played it. I'm pretty sure it's a Kinesia game. Okay. Um, and I almost bought it. I know nothing about it, but I almost bought it because Walmart or Target was selling it for like eight dollars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you missed out on a great gateway game, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Schmaka said King Domino, which yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Well, I've actually used <laughs> uh, King Domino before for like just for, like within my family. I, I had someone like visiting, and it was like it's because it was a good one-on-one gateway game. Yeah. You know, because, like, otherwise, like I said, like, Catan, but it's like, that doesn't work one-on-one right. as a gateway game. Yeah. And so, I, I've used King Domino. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think King Domino is super simple. It's one of those that you can play in, like, 15 minutes. And, yeah. Yeah, replay it yeah. now that you know how it works. And everyone kind of knows Dominoes. That's and true, so yeah. So, it's, it's kind of a natural. It's really easy to explain. Yeah, it's a natural connection, for sure. Team Pixel Damage said Suro. Have you played Suro? Is that the one that's, like, sort of like chess? Where you got like the five, it's like oh, uh, that's on Omitama, Onitama. Oh yeah, I'm okay. thinking of Onitama. Zero is uh, basically you draft tiles and you lay tiles down, and it's like a maze. And if you you have to follow the path, okay. And if you run off the board, mm-hmm. you lose, and it's oh, the last okay. person standing. So gotcha. it, it's a fun one. Neat. The gaming manual said Machi Koro. Mm. Yeah, I don't think you like Machi Koro. <laughs> I don't. I yeah. brought that up in our episode three, the mech episode. If we gave it like a three in mechanics or something like that. <laughs> just yeah, I, don't like it. I don't like that game. Yeah. E. Ash said Katana Ticket to Ride. Yeah, solid. So, yep. Both solid. Or right, Kim Beloff said King of Tokyo. Okay. Um, and he said it brings up the worst in people, <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I agree. That is true, yeah. Ghost Meeple said Carcassonne. Old school, the classic Carcassonne. That, yeah. was, uh, that was my old roommate's almost gateway, gateway game. game. Yeah, yeah. We played Carcassonne again earlier this week and... Just such a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Hold up. And then um, the best answer, T. R. Choice. Um, and he said Brass Birmingham. So <laughs> I, I 100% agree. Just deep end and yeah, a little push. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I was like, hey, if they're going to be gamers, you got you to gotta teach them soon. <laughs> Here's the number three game. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> there's, uh, there's only 700 things you can do on your turn. Just do it. I don't What's so bad? You can do anything in the game. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's a wrong choice. Yeah, Just it's none such of the, a, like only a few of them will win you the game, but nothing's a wrong choice. It's such a good gateway game because there's no <laughs> nothing's constricting your actions. Oh man. <laughs> so this week's icebreaker question was submitted to us from one of our one of our listeners. He actually I think he submitted it through the website, which is super cool. So this is from Mike. His icebreaker question to us is if you could live in any fantasy universe. Which would it be, assuming you were a hero? And then same question, assuming you were a commoner. 
Oh man, because <laughs> like your mind naturally goes assuming you're a villain, right? Like that's yeah. the other part of that question. Yeah. Assuming you're a commoner, it's like, oh man. <laughs> oh, interesting. I can I can come up with some answers of I don't want to live there <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So assuming I'm a hero, I think the uh, the the way of kings um mm. series which that's not what it's stormlight archives stormlight archives yeah yep. the stormlight archives. way of kings is the first book yes the way of kings is the first book but stormlight archives would be my answer just because like so the heroes have like these spren that get bonded to them and then yeah. they can take form and it just looks awesome plus like the main character like controls lightning which is just dope yeah but yeah I, I just, yeah that that one has one of the coolest magic systems that you would get to like kind of take advantage of as yeah, a main hero yeah exactly and it's kind of like not necessarily known. And then there's like a bunch of like this like magic armor and magic like weapons that you can grab. Yeah. And I think that that would just be like my quest is to just, you know, get a full plate of shard. Like, there you go. There you go. That'd be fun. <laughs> you guys can't hurt me anymore. Da, 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 da. What about you? <laughs> um, I think my mind goes to the inheritance cycle. So Aragon series, right? Just because I want to be like mentally bonded to a dragon. That sounds dope as fuck. There, there, there's one hero. And now it is you. And now it's me. I'm like the only dude around with a dragon. It is unfortunate that everyone's trying to kill my dragon. That's not very nice. Yeah, that's kind of rough. That's a rough rough. love for them. Yeah, Yeah. it's a rough love. (laughs) Um, But like, again, kind of a cool magic system. Like, it's not like amazing as like among like other magic systems that we know. Um, But the fact that like I have a dragon and we're like best friends, that makes it pretty awesome. I have not read Inheritance in forever, but you can like see through or like it's like a mental it's a mental bond yeah and so that yeah that'd be sick like that'd be so cool yeah that would be amazing plus you can fly yeah flying is dope (laughs) that sounds awesome yeah you have to get that special saddle or else you just get like brutalized right like yeah they like really sharp scales or something like that yeah oh yeah oh yeah no that's a good one yeah i would enjoy that um the other part of the question where would i (laughs) want to be a commoner? where would i be like almost willing to live as a commoner like, where am I willing to tolerate all the fuckery that's going on from the main heroes? <laughs> Definitely not Star Wars. That's out. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much randomness in there. <laughs> yeah, my if planet hit, might get blown up. Yeah, if you hit random number generator to create your character in Star Wars, you could get some real bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really bad stuff. Game of Thrones? <laughs> you want to live in... You're just going to be sent off to war somewhere. Isn't the Have question... you seen me? I'm not fit for war. <laughs> <laughs> no one is going to recruit me for war. I'm going to be a baker or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what Sam Tarley thought, and he ended up at the wall. That's fair. Yeah, I don't want to be at the wall. Hmm. Yeah, the wall would suck. So, if so, the question bounded us to just like fantasy realms, right? Yeah, not yeah. not necessarily a book, but just like a fantasy universe. A fantasy a, universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm going to get outside of books a little bit. Then I'm going to go with Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. What- and, Sorry, no, I'll ask my questions later. Go for it. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Because I think there's like an 80% chance that you would be okay, right? Because all the airbenders at the start of the show are already wiped out. So you're not going to just like be wiped out with the airbenders, right? You might spawn in as like Water Tribe, and that could suck or that could be awesome, right? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Depending on which which pole you like get spawned in on, right? Anywhere in the Earth Kingdom, like you're just some dude and you might be able to move rocks, and that's kind of cool right fire nation like you might be able to light some candles every once in a while or like your nation might kind of suck but like your individual life is probably pretty okay that no yeah that's a good point yeah you're you're sitting pretty for 80 percent of that show 80 percent of that show you're okay you know that 20 percent really gonna suck yeah i mean (laughs) yeah you know you know but there's a pretty good chance that you're gonna have some magical bending powers even as a commoner even if it's not super strong (laughs) you just get to move some stuff around yeah that'd be pretty dope yeah, there is no war in Bossing Say, so that's right. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bossing could... Say, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so I think mine is also going to be a TV show. That's My okay. Hero Academia. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Because, like, I think, what is it, like, 75% of the people have something like that quirks have a quirk yeah. yeah and so like they're sometimes they're mostly like really useless yes and so like you know, you know yeah. I'll, I'll roll it's like a you get D4. to pick up small objects like yeah. that's what you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll roll a d4 and maybe i can like get the beer from sitting on the couch like, yeah I'll, I'll take it <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> but <laughs> yeah and it's, so it's not like the reckoners right where anyone who is <laughs> has right. a power is evil that's right there are good guys <laughs> there are good guys and i think that's where i like to sit so like yeah, yeah the my hero academia realm would be there a nice place to be a commoner. You don't have to deal with all the bullshit that the school is going on. That's true. Yeah, but the news would be like super exciting. Oh yeah, yeah, and like you never need to buy a movie ticket because you can probably just walk outside. That's right. Yeah, reality <laughs> TV must be nuts. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, what would reality TV look like? <laughs> never mind. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, My Hero Academia and Avatar: The Last Airbender, I think are really good answers. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to hear what people think on this one. Yeah, that'll yeah, be a fun that, one to that'll hear. That'll be a good one to hear the responses on. I'm Thanks for do, the question, Mike. That's that's a good one. Yeah, I'm gonna do two different stories on Instagram. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I'll just read a couple from each one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That that'll be fun. I'm gonna. I'm interested <laughs> to see what people think. Okay, so uh, Face Off Friday. So we we actually have two Face Off Fridays going into this episode. Yep. For this episode, because we thought we were going to record this episode a while ago, so I posted a face-off Friday, uh-huh. and we, we ended up pushing it back because we wanted to do a little bit more of the definition episodes to prepare for this one. Yeah. And so that one that I pushed, or that I posted probably about a month ago, is uh, face-off Friday against Gimli and Legolas. Mm-hmm. And so what, what's your name? Or what, what's your what's your answer on that one? What's my answer on that one? I think Gimli. I think Gimli has a... You know, he wouldn't want to hear this, and I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but Legolas, like, does more in combat, right? Like, Legolas is more useful. Uh, <laughs> still only counts as one. Still only counts as one. <laughs> but, like, the fact that Gimli has, like, enough of, like, enough heart to, like, kind of open his mind up and kind of, like, overcome, like, the elf dwarf racism, like, he's the one that kind of, like, takes those first steps, you know? And so I think that makes him, like, more valuable to the world um, than Legolas, who's kind of just, like, along for the ride. But kind of like follows Gimli and being like, well, maybe dwarves don't suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I love Gimli, though. Yeah, Gimli is my answer as well. Cool. Uh, It used to be Legolas. And so I I used to like Legolas more just because, like, growing up, just kind of, I I liked his fighting style more, like the bow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, now, like, like reading through, I like the non-combat side Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah, And so, like, Gimli, like, I think just has more personality than Legolas. Legolas is kind of, like, aloof. Yeah, <laughs> Gimli is also Orlando Bloom. Yeah, not a good casting. Yeah, throwing it out there. <laughs> He's like, everyone else. It just like does so well, and then Orlando Bloom's like, "I'm here too," and you're like, "Fuck you, Orlando Bloom." <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we need an actor who's pretty enough to be an elf, and they like like chose him. They're like, "Oh shit, he has to talk too." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we're screwed. Just don't let him talk to Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> and my bow. Whew, we're done. <laughs> Whew. Never have Glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me what Instagram said. So in- Instagram agreed with us, but it was very Sweet. close. So Gimli was a 54 to Legolas is 46%. Wow. That is really close. Yeah. yeah. One of the closer ones. One of the closer ones. And then uh, I think it started off like heavy, heavy Legolas. And then Gimli kind of made a run for it there at the end. There we go. Yeah. So <laughs> very dangerous across short, <laughs> short distances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then the... Uh, the Natural sprinters. Yeah. And then, and then the other face-off Friday, which 
is not as good. It's a. Uh, I asked who the real heroes. <laughs> <Don't say that. laughs> oh, it, well, you guys can turn off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's fine. Uh, is who? Who's the real hero of the story? Frodo or Sam? And oh yeah, we've talked about that. We, we've talked Sam. about it. And but I just kind of wanted to kind of get see if people agreed with us. Yeah, that's kind of my my thought. And eighty nine percent of the people agreed with us that there Sam is go. the hero of this story. Yeah, there are eleven percent of the people out there who I don't think i've read the books uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i was amazed even just rereading the the third book over the course of this week how like you don't you never you never hear frodo's perspective up to um the scene at mount doom a- afterwards in like the falling action you yeah. do hear some of frodo's perspectives but before that it's like 100 percent sam's perspective you know and you like feel that he's like the one that you're kind of identifying with and part of that's because like Frodo's like just so gone you know yeah and I think we'll get into a little bit of that with the narration on how you know the story is told and how you relate to characters yeah but we'll, we're, sure. we're gonna save that for sure um I will say about Frodo though just in, in rereading this like Frodo like all the bad shit happens to Frodo <laughs> you know like Sam you're like oh like Sam, like the worst thing that happens to Sam is like that Frodo tells him to like go away, right? Which, <laughs> to be fair, is literally the worst thing that he could ever imagine. Yeah, no, absolutely for himself, yeah. right? That is like his pit. That's his bottom. But like Frodo, like right at the outset, he gets stabbed, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not a good start. None of the other hobbits he gets are ever again. Like three chapters later, yeah. <laughs> but like none of the hobbits, I don't. Are they? Are any of them ever stabbed? I don't think. Like really, I don't think any of them really go through any like significant like physical pain, except for Frodo. <laughs> yeah right. Frodo gets the short end of that stick <laughs> yeah he gets the short end of, he gets like he gets like you know pierced in the back of the neck by Shelob right he gets poisoned he gets tortured by orcs for a little while he like he, he he gets like actually stabbed by a cave troll with like a spear you know right yeah <laughs> he just, like nails him and it's like even if that didn't pierce skin that's still got a bruise <laughs> yeah or something. you broke some ribs there you broke some ribs like Frodo has it rough yeah know? no yeah absolutely Plus all the mental toll that he's going yeah, through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the ring, you know. Yeah, and then the other hobbits are just hungry. So <laughs> Yeah, like that's the worst thing they have to deal with. So, so I, I will admit, like, Frodo goes through more, but Sam's yeah, a hero. Fro- Frodo is definitely a hero. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> just uh, if if it weren't for Sam, I think <laughs> I think the, the Dark Lord would have risen again. Yeah. He who must not be named would have been back. Yeah. Frodo wouldn't got very far without Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That is very, very true. Yep. Okay, so... First series analysis, book analysis that we're doing, mm-hmm. we, uh, we we have it set up, and I'm really excited the way we have it set up. So I think what we're first gonna do is we're gonna put we're gonna put some time on the the shot clock here. Yeah. So we're gonna give ourselves we're gonna take turns, uh-huh. and we have 30 seconds to describe the story of Lord of the Rings in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. <laughs> and I will say the first time I I wrote mine out. I uh, I timed it and I was over two minutes, <laughs> so so I cut a lot out. <laughs> I I have very poor understanding of how long it takes to read things apparently because <laughs> all I do is audiobooks like you were saying. Yeah, earlier. yeah. And so the so 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 there is that. So we're gonna we're gonna do our quick overview. You want to flip a coin to see who goes first, or <laughs> <laughs> or do you want to just sure? I have a I have a number under the table that is either a one or a two. What is it? Two. Here's a one. I don't know why you let me do that. I could have just changed it. I mean, I did. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> you. You go first here. Do you want to uh, see your timer as you go? No. Do you want to just, okay, you no. just want me to start it and then just like yell at you like when you're, when you're done? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
I, I, I messaged you in Discord the other, earlier today saying that I had done some breathing exercises in order to prepare for this because I'm not used to talking for 30 seconds without taking a breath. And That's I don't right. actually have time for breaths. So. That's right. When I, when I, you, so first of all, take some deep breaths. You know, get your lungs nice and expanded. <laughs> God damn it. And then uh, when I count you down, remember to take your breath on like two or something, you know? Like when I'm counting you in. Don't take your breath when I stop. That's, you're going to lose a valuable half a second. Oh, I don't have a half a second. <laughs> okay. All right. You ready? Yep. All right. Three, two, one, go. Frodo, his cousins, and Gardner set off to destroy this evil ring. They meet up with a bunch of other people who get railroaded into Moria. The Fellowship chest swaps Gandalf for a Balrog. Ned pisses Frodo off and then gets used as target practice for some orcs while Sam and Frodo split the party. Two of the hobbits get kidnapped and <laughs> escape to meet tree people, then destroy Isengard. Gandalf isn't dead and helps the rest of the party win Helm Deep. Pippin becomes a cupbearer. Aragorn meets some dead people, and together they all fight in Minas Tirith. While all this is happening, NPC Gollum has joined the party and helps him destroy the ring. But wait, there's more. Saruman has taken over the Shire and has the Battle of Bywater, where the character you thought was dead, Wormtongue, kills the other character you thought was dead, Saruman. On. Then they all sound Yes! 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 <laughs> you did it! <laughs> also, I uh, initially, like, by the way, I set the timer for 30 minutes. <laughs> and so I was like, why he's got all the time in the world? <laughs> wow, he's talking quick. He's talking quick. Oh, man. Excellent. <sighs> if I, I think you would have had like a tenth of a second to spare if I had not made you laugh. <laughs> I was laughing at the fact that you called him Ned instead of Boromir. No, I that was a conscious decision. Well, I Ned had, is like two syllables shorter. I had Eddard Stark, and then I changed it to Boromir, and then I changed it to Ned so I could get to time. <laughs> oh, man. Just so you guys know, uh, Nelson put a lot more work into his 30 seconds. I'm did. sweating. I was um, like, I will instead... <laughs> I will write down some bullet points and I'm going to wing it. And so that's, you know, you're going to get a bit of a difference. I'm probably not going to talk. That's like the fastest I've ever heard you talk, by the way. Like, that's the fastest I've ever talked. <laughs> I don't think like, well, done. Okay. So because I haven't uh, like timed myself doing this, I do want to see the timer. So you, <laughs> you couldn't see the timer. I'm going to, I'm going to see the timer so that I know if I need to start like skipping towards the end. Okay. I'm going to put it in the middle of the table then. Yeah. Okay. Do you see that? I, um, yeah, if you play, there we go. Now yeah. I can see it. All right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you ready? I'm ready when you are. Count me in. Okay. Three, two, one, go. There's a Dark Lord. He has one ring. It's with a hobbit. He travels over to uh, Rivendell. He, he meets Elrond. There's a fellowship led by Gandalf. Gandalf is important, but then he's killed shortly after Boromir dies, who's also important, but he'll come back later. Uh, two hobbits are captured. A fellowship splits off. That happens like right at the beginning. Frodo and Sam meet up. They go with Gollum. They go to Mordor. They win. Everyone else fights a whole bunch of battles, and none of that matters. Gandalf comes back. Aragorn <laughs> becomes king. They all win battles, toss in the ring. Um, and then uh, what happens next? Uh, shit. Uh, Aragorn gets the girl, uh, but everyone goes home, but it's burned, but then they fix it, and luckily Sam has magic dirt. Stop! <laughs> I yield my time! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i <coughs> i cut out sam has magic dirt from yeah. mine <laughs> like almost straight word for word so i'm so glad you put that in <laughs> yours i think i saved a lot of time by saying that they had a bunch of battles and none of it matters <laughs> i was able to cut out a couple arcs there the battles do matter but for a 30 eh, second summary, don't they don't they, they don't really um <laughs> So that is a great intro, I think, to our, our little topic here tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a refill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay, we're back. We're back, <laughs> we're back with refills. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, so now that we have, you know, the quick summary out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> now that you guys know what the story's about. Yeah, exactly. Let's uh, let's dive into a little bit more in depth, kind of going through some of the 
previous episodes that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. magic systems and all of that, but kind of sprinkled throughout, we got some treats for you. Dalton, do you want to explain what we're going to do with rabbit holes? Yeah, absolutely. So when we were uh, kind of preparing for this, we knew we wanted to walk through and kind of the five elements that we've reviewed in our previous episode, book episodes. So we're going to talk about the magic system. We're going to talk about the narration style, heroes, villains, and story arc in, in some way. But we also knew that, especially with Lord of the Rings, there are all these different rabbit holes that you can kind of dive down, right? And you can start exploring what does this mean and who is this person and what's their history and what's their role in the story. Um, and so we decided we're going to live in our, limit ourselves to one. So we each get one rabbit hole that we're going to say, okay, well, you, are, you are allowed to dive down this rabbit hole with me. I'm going to, for- <laughs> I'm going to forcibly take you with me down yeah. this rabbit hole um, that we each kind of get that one use throughout this episode. So you'll hear um, both Nelson and I at some point in the episode say, okay, and you know, this is where I'm going to use my rabbit hole and we'll take us down some specific topic. So, which I think will be really fun because it let us kind of do a little bit of extra preparation on one specific thing and not have to uh, stay high level, right? Kind of allow ourselves to dive in on one yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for those. For sure. I'm really excited for those. But, so, okay, when I just want to point this out that I, I, I found this when I was doing a little bit of research. So, mm-hmm. the this is probably one of the oldest books that we have read. Yeah. Yeah, I like, think that's fair. Like fantasy, at least. Yeah, for like, sure. Um, and so, The Fellowship of the Ring was published July 29th, 1900. 19- 54. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Yep. So 1954, July 29th was The Fellowship. The Return of the King, the third book in the series, was published October 20th, 1955. Wow. Yeah. So it was... blitzed those out. 13... Or no, I'm sorry. It was 15 months later. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Like that's incredible. I was like looking up the dates. I was like, that can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like had he written the whole thing and he just needed to like do editing? (laughs) Yeah. I, I I assume so because it, it does feel very complete from the book one. Yeah. Right. So he knew true. the story from book one. Yeah. But like between the fellowship and the two towers, there's four months. Oh man. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm looking unheard at of. some, some of these like modern authors need to start taking <laughs> some more notes from, uh, from Tolkien. But right. yeah, I, I just thought that was absurd. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that, that's a lot of writing in a short amount of time for sure. Uh, yeah, what? especially to develop something that's so like in depth as Lord of yeah. the Rings, you know, like with all this lore and backstory that like isn't even like, I don't know. And I think the Dude's Hobbit came out in the '30s. Okay, so I actually didn't realize that he had written the Hobbit first. I thought that he, like I I always assumed that it was a prequel that he wrote after. You know? I same same. Yeah, I, I really did because like they did the movie afterwards, so I just kind of assumed that yeah. <laughs> that yeah. the, the Hobbit had come out. But no, when I looked it up, he actually did the Hobbit first. And Very then, cool. Which is some like foresight on his part. Right for like, sure to write the prequel to your epic saga. Yeah, like that's that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty really cool. cool. Yeah, Orson Scott Card tried to do that with Ender's Game, but failed. And that Ender's Game is the good part. Yep. <laughs> it's sort of like if the Hobbit is what everybody knows, and then like nobody ever reads the Lord of the Rings, you know, equivalent because it wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he pulled it off. He did. He did really pull it off. And I think that the Lord of the Rings kind of provides the foundation for a lot of books that we have read. Right. So Tolkien invented elves. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. Or like, like there, there were he re envisioned he re envisioned yeah. elves, right? Yeah, like he, they're the yeah. tall, they're not the short dwarf yeah. sized elves. They're, yeah. They're they're the noble, elves or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're the nobility, right? The right. the elves, and so like a lot of fantasy, D and D, Pathfinder, all of that have kind of drawn from a lot of Tolkien's work. Mm-hmm. Orcs, 
Mm-hmm. Right, that's a Tolkien invention. Yeah, when we would like say a book is high fantasy, we almost mean that it's derivative of Tolkien. Right? Yes, yeah. where he's sort of the Beatles, you know. Yep. And it's oh, like every yeah. high, like high fantasy would be rock and roll, and he like, <laughs> like Lord of the Rings is the Beatles. Yep. So I think a lot of things draw from Tolkien, but I think where a lot of the development has come in fantasy is in magic, because mm-hmm. Tolkien, like, or the Lord of the Rings is a very soft magic system. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we actually in our like magic system episode, we almost use it as like the defining soft magic. Exactly. System. Right. And it has that mysticism. No one really knows what's going on with the magic, especially yeah. just like if you don't do any of like the the prerequisite readings like the Salmarillion or anything like that. It's just yeah. like magic happens. The main characters don't really deal with it all that much. Well, I mean, the main character is trying to you know destroy the magic ring, but like <laughs> other than that, like the main character is not a wielder of magic, right? And so, right, it's not the focus of the story necessarily. Like the focus is on the adventure, which we kind of talked about in our magic systems episode of you know we like this style because it adds almost like uncertainty and doubt, yeah, into the story. Yeah, yeah, and I think one key element that you had brought up in the magic system episode was that the world could exist, but the story couldn't. Right. The story would not happen um, without. And this is like a it, this is key to that. Right. Yeah. Where the, the the worlds of elves and men and dwarves and hobbits, all of that would have been. I mean, it, it, it we know from the backstory that it has been influenced by the magic over the course of. But you could see you could envision how these like races and societies would exist if the magic was just pulled out of them. It doesn't affect any really anyone's day to day life. But the story is driven by kind of the magic system and what it what it's able to do. And if it if it wasn't there, then Frodo would have never left the Shire. You know, Bilbo would have never left the Shire. Yep. They they kind of even dive into that in some of the earlier books where, you know, magic is this unique thing where people are like, well, the hobbits are really like almost like intrigued when Gandalf comes and he does all these yeah. weird things that no one's ever seen. They've just heard stories of. Yeah. And so it doesn't he play has fireworks like... and they think that's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big dragon comes out. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, that was one of the things I was actually surprised by the way that like was actually both in the books and in the <laughs> movies, you know, cause like that scene where like there's that big firework dragon that kind of flies yeah. over the party. Yeah. Like that seems like kind of an embellishment, but that is actually written into the books. Yep. And it's the tribute to Bilbo. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> for, when you like think about it, like, for small, for small, yeah, yeah, you think about it, it's like, oh, that totally makes sense. But <laughs> I just always thought that was really funny. Yeah, that, like I, I, that I was wrong. That it actually is in the books. It's interesting, and and so like what you were talking about, how the the story could not exist, right? The uh-huh. the story, as you probably heard from our very in depth synopsis of the uh, of the books, the, <laughs> the, the overlying story arc is that there is this the ring of power. So there's there's twenty great power rings that exist in this universe right mm-hmm. and the one ring to rule them all the one ring to find them um right. has to be destroyed because uh sauron has created these rings and used them to basically it's, it's like influence tokens on your on, on your board like if it's a board yeah. game you're spreading influence to try and take over the map yeah and so this is this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna dive in right at the beginning with at the beginning <laughs> gonna, do it. so my rabbit hole i'm gonna kind of dive into the other 19 rings Awesome. So we we know a good bit about the one ring, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily get a lot, especially in the movie versions of the other 19. Right. And so my rabbit hole is the rings of power. And I am excited. So <laughs> there, there are 20 rings in total, nine for the men, seven for the dwarfs, three for the elves, and then the one ring. Yeah. So um, Which like that comes out like right near the beginning, right? Like we, yeah. That's like we know that. But then it, you're right. It feels like very shortly after that, the rings, all the other rings kind of like drop out of the movie version anyway. Yep. 
the 16 rings of power we're not going to talk about the elf rings at this point so the the dwarf and the men rings okay were crafted by this guy named kellen brimbor Okay. And so he and Anatar, so I had to write all these phonetical spellings out. Yeah. Anatar. These dudes, they're elves, right? Yeah. These Just based on elves. the names. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they crafted the 16 rings, so the, the, the nine men and the seven, or the seven dwarves. Okay. And Anatar is actually just Sauron in disguise. So what oh, Sauron okay. did is he came in and he, like, basically the Dark Lord took on this guise and taught elves how to forge rings of power. Okay. And he did this so that he could eventually forge the one ring. And then he thought that he could use the one ring to have everyone else break to his will and then kind of control everybody. Gotcha. That, so that's this his... would have been in the second age? Yep. Then? So, yeah. So the second age. Which which the story takes place in the third age. That's why I asked that question. Yep. So Anatar shows up and starts teaching how to make the rings in the year 1500 of the second age. Okay. To kind of give an uh, idea, the Sauron was defeated and Isildur took the ring in year 3441 of the second age. Yeah. And which, that's the which end of this. Which ended the second yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So about halfway through the second age, yeah. uh, he showed up. There's a lot of years. In there, there are a lot of years. <laughs> there for a long time. Yeah. And it, it took a while for me to try and figure out what was going on. Yeah, especially since the years keep resetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like the year of the trees, and that was kind of weird. Yeah. I, yeah. But <laughs> but anyway, so Sauron wanted to create these rings, and okay. he, he set out to make the 16 to control the, the men and the dwarves. What ended up happening is after Sauron left, um, in the year 1590, Celebrimbor, the guy that Sauron was kind of teaching how to make the rings, forged the three elven rings. Okay. Which, very key to the story, Sauron never touched the elven rings. He yeah. never had any power, and that's one of the reasons why the elven rings are still able to be wielded gotcha. and not necessarily under the power of the one ring. Right, because he specifically wanted to give them to elves, or sorry, not elves, to men and dwarves, because he thought that he could corrupt them most exactly. easily. Exactly, yeah. yep. And so so that was done in 1590. The three elven rings were formed. Ten years later, Sauron forced the one ring in Mount Doom, the greatest name of anything fantasy. Uh, <laughs> so the one ring was forged, and he started to corrupt and gather power mm -hmm. at that point. He was defeated in thirteen or uh, 3,441. Sauron's um, plans always take a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're you're immortal, That's you right. can I just kind of lay that groundwork. Time. Yeah, lay that groundwork, man. <laughs> so that ended the Second Age. Just to kind of give a quick overview of the One Ring. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but sure. um, in the Third Age, year two, Isildur was killed. The ring was lost in the river. It laid in the river for over 2,000 years. So Gollum found, or, or Deagle found the One Ring, mm -hmm. which then Gollum killed Deagle to take the One Ring in the year 2063. About 500 years later, Bilbo finds the ring in Gollum's cave. Yeah. He passes it along to his nephew, Frodo. Frodo then hangs out for like 16 years before he goes to destroy the ring. Yeah. Which I like is not mentioned in the movie whatsoever. Yeah, that's kind of lost a little bit that actually there's a lot of work from when like Gandalf tells him like keep it secret keep it safe to the scene where he says is it secret is it safe yeah. there's a lot of time that passes there yeah because that that scene happened on Bilbo's 111th birthday which is Frodo's 33rd birthday it's pronounced 111th birthday 111th birthday <laughs> yes which is Frodo's 33rd birthday so yeah. they, they you know it was 144 Frodo embarks on his journey when he's 50 years old yeah and it takes roughly one year it takes roughly. about roughly one year yep. yeah yep so the third age, year 3019, the One Ring was destroyed by yeah. 
Frodo slash Gollum. Okay. But anyways. So that's the fate of the One Ring. That's the fate of the One Ring. So what I want to dive into is the other rings. And okay. so a lot of these are less interesting. Um, so I'm going to do them kind of in order that I found interesting. Okay. The Sweet. least interesting are the, the nine rings made for the men. None of these rings are named necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, they may have been, but in like our knowledge of Lord of the Rings fandom, we don't know the names. Mm-hmm. But basically, the use they turn men evil. This is where uh, the Nazgul. Or no, not the Nazgul. Uh, this the is, Ringwraiths. Yeah, this is where this is what formed the Ringwraiths. Right. So the the the, the big black Dementor like people coming after Frodo, the entire you know Lord of the Rings series are the nine ring bearers for uh, the the men. They're right. the men. And then the uh, the Witch King. Do you know if they actually have their rings still? Like, are they physically wearing them? There's some debate on that. Okay. Um, and I think, I think no. Okay. Um, I, I think no. A lot of people say yes because that's what you know Sauron uses to control them. Mm. But it, it, I don't think it's necessarily known. So the the other power is that the, these rings, the the rings for the men, they uh, they gave them great power and wealth. Okay. Uh, gave them eternal life, uh, mm-hmm. which like men are mortal. So you see how that turned out. Yeah. Um, they uh, they actually became powerful sorcerers. Um, oh, okay, interesting. I which didn't know that. Uh, the they lost that power when they became ringwraiths. Okay, but for like a temporary time, yep, they it, it was kind of that enticing. Hey, you take this, you're going to be pretty powerful. Gotcha. Do they have like the ability to sort of like influence with their will that like like because Frodo shows that over like specifically Gollum like later that with the One Ring that he can sort of if he like accesses this part of he can almost command he can like impart his will onto Gollum. So like did, did the Nine kind of did it give them that power over men? I think it's almost the opposite. So it's the One Ring was able to control the Nine. Mm-hmm. And Frodo was able to control Gollum because Gollum coveted the ring so much. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so Sauron is able to command the Nine because of all this groundwork magic that he had laid. Very cool. Yep. So one other kind of note is that since they are tied together, the ring wraiths actually increased in power with Sauron. So mm. as Sauron got stronger, the ring wraiths got stronger as well. Very cool. So the second... Le- or the second most interesting rings are the dwarven rings. Uh-huh. So these dwarven rings, there's only one of them that is named. Okay. Uh, of the seven, and that's uh, Thoror, and that was given to King Durin the third. Um, so King Durin okay. of Durin folk. So this one named ring is a gold ring. It's adorned with a gem. They don't necessarily go into what type of gem it was, mm-hmm. but these these rings all kind of acted similar. All seven of these rings acted similar. They gave the dwarves increased lifespans. Which in turn correlation led to great wealth. Yeah. Because they, you know, dwarves like wealth and you live longer, you can get more wealth, which helps <laughs> you get more wealth. Gotcha. Um, so this led all of them to establish like a very large treasure hoard mm-hmm. and made them very, very greedy. Gotcha. Which in turn attracted dragons. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> unintended consequences of the rings. Four of the seven rings were actually consumed by dragons. Wow. Uh, because they came to get the treasure. Gotcha. So I thought Oops. that was kind of funny. And then um, the, the the other three were acquired by Sauron. Gotcha. So, so that's Sauron, why they don't really play a part in like the three books of Lord of the correct. Rings. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Not not really. The, uh, the, the, the named ring was Thorin was the last one that was acquired by Sauron. And that happened before uh, the events of Lord of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Gotcha. Now, the coolest rings are the elven rings, which were forged by Kellen Brimbor without the influence of Sauron. Yeah. And, and I know this, all three of these are in the movies. They are. Yes. I know but that But you one. don't necessarily 
get to see them if you're not watching the extended versions slash sure they're they're alluded to at least yeah and so the these three rings there's naria ninja and vilia okay are the three elven rings and naria is the ring of fire or the red ring so it's a gold ring and it's adorned with a ruby Mm-hmm. And this is the its power is it keeps hope, renewal, and strength to resist tyranny and despair. Mm. And so Celebrimbor already like a an upgrade from oh, the, yeah. the previous <laughs> yeah. rings. And and these were forged without the ultimate goal. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. Celebrimbor like built these, um, and he gave this to Kierden, um, which is a which is another elf. Mm-hmm. And then along the lines, it actually the current. During the Fellowship of the Ring, during the Lord of the Rings, the current wielder is Gandalf. Oh, yeah. And actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that one. I, there, that happened, like, shortly after Gandalf sort of landed in Middle-earth. Yep. That there was, yeah, there was that. He kind of struck up a friendship with Kyrgyz, and there was an, that exchange where yep. he gave him the ring. So Gandalf holds this ring, and another thing that all of these elven rings can do is they are all invisible to anyone who is not wielding the one ring. Mm. And so that's why you don't necessarily see it on Gandalf's. And if you are wielding the run, one ring, you actually have to like impart your will to see it. And, okay. And we'll get into that in the next one. Ninja Frodo sees this one, and at least in the books, I don't think it happens in the movies. Okay. But Gandalf has it, and they kind of go into this. They allude to this when Gandalf falls into shadow in the Mines of Moria after fighting uh-huh. the Balrog. Uh-huh. They talk about how the Fellowship feels kind of drained and sad that they've lost this companion and that mm-hmm. is because they are no longer under the influence of naria wow. who is or the ring it bolsters hope and renewal against tyranny yeah so i thought that was kind of interesting that is really cool the second one is ninja so it's the ring of water the right or it's sometimes called the white ring or the ring of adamant um it's made with mithril which mm-hmm. i thought was kind of cool oh, that is cool and it's so it's a white band and it's set with what most people think is a diamond uh-huh. this is the this gives powers of preservation of life and lands, and it also has powers of protection and concealment. Uh-huh. So this ring was given to, and still is wielded by Galadriel, mm-hmm. um, which is the the Lady of Lothlorien, yeah. who gives Sam the dirt. Yes, uh, the magic dirt. <laughs> <laughs> At least in the book, Frodo sees this ring on Galadriel, mm-hmm. whereas Sam it's described as Sam sees the star in her finger. Gotcha. Like she he can't see it. Yeah. Um, it's invisible. Then the last one, which is the most powerful of the three elven rings, is Vilia. The ring of air, the blue ring, the dominant ring, or the ring of sapphire are some of its other names. It's a blue sapphire in the hilt of a golden band. And this one is to heal and preserve. It's the greatest of the three rings. It has all the other kind of attributes that I was saying. This one was given to Gil-galad. He's the guy who killed Sauron, uh, or one of the two that killed Sauron. Gil-galad gave this ring to Elrond, and one of the biggest uses of this ring in the fellowship of the ring book is elrond uses it to create the flood to wipe out the uh the ring wraiths that's right yeah um which i believe gandalf is is at that time in rivendell and he sort of adds his power to it so it's sort of the power of like the two rings almost but yeah so the uh those three elven rings the others were all the dwarfs and the humans have been either consumed by dragons or Sauron got them. Uh-huh. The elves, Sauron never touched them. And then actually every single ring leaves Middle Earth at the end of the trilogy. So mm-hmm. everyone on the boat is or had been a ring bearer. 
Yeah. Which is kind of cool. That so, is really cool, yeah. So Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel all sail off into the sunset along with Bilbo and Frodo. Yeah. And probably Shadowfax, I think. So yeah, I, that that was that was the topic that I kind of chose to dive into for my uh, my rabbit hole. I had a, yeah. There's a lot more information out there than I thought there was going to be. Yeah, there's a ton. <laughs> but there's like some really big questions in the series that that kind of helps answer like, yeah. you know, where are where are the rings now and kind of what's their what's uh, going on? What's their what's going on? What's their powers and stuff like that? It's also like this is part of the soft magic system that there are they're cloudy they're not always like well defined um and also like the rings are just kind of one small part of like this large nebulous soft magic system that's kind of going on yeah absolutely but no i, I had a lot of fun researching that i think there are like 300 lord of the rings wikis that i was going through <laughs> it, it was insane thanks for doing that uh, I enjoyed but it. yeah so yeah we, we kind of talked about the the magic let's talk about narration yeah let's move to narration how how like what what is the narration style that Lord of the Rings is told from? Yeah, absolutely. So it would be primarily the third person omniscient. Primarily. There are and it, and it kind of when we talked about in, in the narration styles episode, we talked about that there's a bit of a there, there's a there's this concept of like closeness, right? Like um narrative distance. Yeah. And, and Lord of the Rings moves from distant to far within the perspective of the characters. And what that means is that there are scenes where you are hearing Sam's, for instance, sort of internal thoughts, um, or maybe Pippin's, uh, you know, in, in a scene in Minas Tirith or something like that. And then scenes where it sort of like zooms out and you see, you kind of hear what's going on in like a larger battle scene, for instance. Whereas in like, in other ones that are told, like the Stormlight Archives that are told from a third person um, limited, you would see a battle scene, but only from the perspective of like the one character. Right. And Tolkien doesn't do that necessarily. He sort of zooms out and tells you, here's what's kind of the movements of the battle and where these different characters are. And it kind of gives you that over, I guess, sweeping view that, right, that kind of you you get to see where all the characters are and who they're fighting and how that's going um, within one scene. It's not like switching perspectives of the characters necessarily. Yeah. And I think another key point that we brought up in the narration episode about the third person omniscient is that it's a you can fully trust the narrator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like with a third person limited or a first person, you can sometimes have an unreliable narrator. However, with the, with the style that Lord of the Rings is told in is it's fact. Anything that the narration says is absolutely true. So you get that, the, the truth about the battle of Minas Tirith from different perspectives. And it's not necessarily how a character is perceiving it, but it is describing what the character is going through. Yeah. One of the things that, I found kind of interesting is also with the third person omniscient is that with that distance, it's harder to form relationships with the characters. I think. Yeah. Because you're you're not it. It's more of a textbook. I not necessarily textbook, but it's like you're you're describing lists of events that the characters are going through rather than seeing what emotions the characters are really perceiving in those events sure most of the time yeah but, it feels like the narrator's telling you the story it doesn't feel like frodo is telling you yeah, his story. yeah that, that's a great way to put it yeah and so and i don't know if it's just a function of lord of the rings and how it's so beloved by you know us uh-huh. and we've, we we've seen it multiple times we've we're doing a podcast episode on it for <laughs> right? but like i i don't necessarily feel that distance from the characters i i feel like i relate mm-hmm. and care about the characters a lot <laughs> yeah and some of that i think comes from the magic system right the fact that you are able to sort of identify specifically with the hobbits and so the magic system kind of i think covers that weakness a little bit kind of like flexes into that gap for you somewhat um, because the times when it does zoom in on a character and you start hearing someone's internal thoughts and perspectives it's almost always a hobbit 
Almost always. The only other person is is uh, Aragorn. You do hear scenes from Aragorn's perspective. I didn't notice that. that yeah. Like that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah that's you cool. hear you hear scenes where, and that's one reason I think why he kind of made the tactical decision to split off Merry and Pippin because Merry and Pippin are able to sort of tell you the story of what's going on in the rest of the the fight of the good fo- right the good folk or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they and he even splits them so that like Pippin follow later Pippin goes to Gondor and you can hear what's going on in Gondor where Mary stays with the Rohirrim and he sort of like follows that story and he, and as I kind of reread through uh, Return of the King it was like okay the, the only time in this part of the story that you hear Aragorn's perspective is when he goes to get the the army of the dead right because now there's no hobbits around um, and the same thing kind of happens during the hunt earlier right where if it's like okay if it's Aragorn Legolas and Gimli then you're kind of hearing like Aragorn's perspective Helm's Deep is sort of the same way yeah um, although that's a battle scene so it's a little bit different it kind of <laughs> skips around a little bit yeah. more it's not really zoomed in on anyone's perspective so much it's not really close with anyone's specific perspective but I think that's chosen because Aragorn has such a it's such a good arc anyway like more so than like Legolas Gimli Boromir any of the other members even Gandalf members of the fellowship that you are sort of like kind of following this hero character and that's fun but the person you kind of the people that you kind of identify with other hobbits right so he tries to tell the story from their perspective if he can the other thing that i thought was an interesting choice is like when you look at the fellowship everything's pretty much told from frodo mm-hmm. and yeah. when you move into the two towers five months later um <laughs> yeah which is crazy but yeah. like i i feel like the entire narration style shifted at that point because you're For following sure. multiple timelines at that point mm-hmm. because you you know you got aragorn legolas gimli mary and pippin and then frodo and sam mm-hmm. and so that you, and Gandalf's hopping between all of those. And Gandalf's, <laughs> yeah, Gandalf's kind of everywhere. But I, I think it, it feels almost like the way that it's done, at least when I read it, I feel like I'm following in Frodo's like steps of like, this is, you know, this is what I know. I know the Shire and throughout the fellowship, you know, you start seeing the bigger world. Mm-hmm. And then once you move into the two towers, Frodo is exposed to this world. And as the reader, I also feel like I'm gradually in like moving into the world and now I'm following and seeing the entire world mm-hmm. rather than just in the fellowship. I'm just seeing, you know, the limited scope of Hobbiton. That's yeah. all I know. Yeah. And then you get to move and gradually grow with Frodo and Sam and Mary yeah. and Pippin to kind of see the rest of the world and see what's going on out there. So yeah. I thought that was a really like very well done change. And you didn't like, because like Gandalf is doing other stuff in the fellowship of the ring. Yeah. Gandalf's got a lot going on. Gandalf's got a lot going on. He's a busy man, <laughs> but you always hear it from like when he's telling Frodo. Right. Whereas, you know, in two towers and return of the King, that's no longer the case. Yeah. Which I think was a really interesting and a really well done narrative implementation yeah i think the other like really smart shift that happened is the perspective away from frodo when frodo starts becoming corrupted oh yeah that was really cool you know and i think that that happened for a very specific reason because think think of how the books would be different if tolkien was trying to describe to you how corrupted frodo felt right that would be really hard to implement right it'd be like oh it's just calling me or something like that like it wouldn't it, it would be hard but what's so much more powerful is seeing it from sam's perspective and seeing his friend like crumble right seeing his friend start to fall apart and become someone who he's not and you know he even talks about after like there's this really powerful scene after on mount doom after frodo gets rid of the ring where like sam kind of feels like he's back you know like, yeah like this is yeah. him you know it's yep. like he's he's it, his weight is gone and it's over and like this is the man that i remember and it's totally different you know so kind of watching the descent of frodo from a third person perspective i think would have been 
even it, it still would have been weak except for that it was from the third person perspective of someone who really cared about sam or sorry, really cared about frodo and so you can kind of you kind of feel that with him you 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 pull on moments from yourself where you watch a friend make a bad decision right or where you watch a friend and you're like oh, i know that that pain of like watching something bad happen to someone who i care about and feeling powerless to stop it you know and you kind of identify with that really strong feeling from sam Tolkien is a phenomenal writer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think we've we've kind of established that, but I I do like I never really thought about that until you just said that about how as Frodo descends into madness, you get more removed from Frodo, which I think is a really cool meta, type yeah, meta storytelling. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's why we identify with Sam kind of like as the hero of the story, right? Because it feels like well, I, they are they are both they definitely we we talk about Sam being the hero. They are definitely both heroes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Frodo goes through some shit <laughs> he yeah. is dragged through the mud and he is you <laughs> stabbed, know poke, stabbed prodded. poked prodded. <laughs> you know um he he has to go through the the shit of it but we we talk about sam because sam has all these scenes where he's like i have to be like the strong one and his what prevails is like his courage and his love and these are such like admirable traits right where frodo doesn't really have this like strong admirable trait this heroic trait of like courage or or love he he has endurance that's like his main thing that that kind of like carries him where sam kind of like embodies all of the other ones right and and kind of literally carries the story on his back yeah and like we we talked a lot about different hero traits i 100 percent agree that sam is the hero of the story because when it came down to it frodo was not going to destroy the ring for sure yeah right which i think is really interesting because on the surface it looks like frodo is the main character of the story but i think sam is the main character of the story i think tolkien has actually said that that he meant it to be a story about samwise gamgee but frodo has character flaws he's not a perfect character i think he like we said he's still that hero character he still exemplifies the hero traits whereas Mm -hmm. sam is the pure hero of the story Mm mm-hmm what are some of the other heroes, like outside of the Fellowship, right? <laughs> like, like yeah. we, we got, I would say, almost anybody in the Fellowship, maybe Boromir. I mean, he has that redemption arc right there towards the last 15 seconds of his life. Yeah. Um, but, like, what what are some of the other story, or heroes of the story that uh, we see outside of the Fellowship? Yeah, I think Tolkien does, like, a really good job of kind of hitting, like, different spectrum. Because there are a lot of side characters that kind of come in and have really important arcs faramir is one of the ones that comes to mind that's the one i had written down <laughs> yeah where he's like faramir is absolutely a hero he's also like i, I would say slightly less of a bitch in the stories right? <laughs> yeah in the books than, than he's portrayed to be in the movies the movies yeah. especially the extended versions do a nice job of showing the love of all of the men of gondor that they have for faramir and how much denethor loved boromir yeah and how much he resents because there there are times in the story where denethor the the dad the the Mm -hmm. ruler of gondor at the time um not necessarily king but this the the steward steward, says like oh boromir would have done it right boromir would have done it and like that's gotta it's gotta be some shit to go through (laughs) you you gotta work that out in therapy that's for sure (laughs) yeah kind of in the return of the king story arc maybe in the two towers i they blend together for me honestly sure is when like frodo and sam are captured by faramir and his men yeah that is two towers that's right that at the is end two, of towers, two towers right yeah. at the end of two towers um i think the heroic like he understands like he's supposed to bring frodo to gondor so that they can you know muster this force mm-hmm. and he he ends up not doing that right right one of the things that faramir wants is to be recognized in the eyes of his father and he sacrifices that knowing that he is 
you know, <laughs> yeah, doing bad, like illegal stuff, like right in, in his uh, father's eyes, and yeah. letting the ring bearers go for sure. That's a hard choice. That's a hard choice. And what a cool like parallel between like what Boromir was not able to do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he absolutely. Kind of, he, he and he's actually he's talked a little bit more in the books about how he is really sort of the embodiment of like a man of Numenor, right? Like where he is kind of the the he he looks like what an ancient king would have looked like where boromir looks like his father like he actually looks like a more like kind of the line of stewards and faramir looks like the kings of old kind of thing and so the men they have this like um, immense love for him and they talk about his um his love of music and healing and and culture and romance and he's sort of like he's that sort of leader but he's also still like this great heroic like captain you know and, and men of combat kind of thing and he has all these like amazing feats that he does um the books don't have denethor send him on quite such an obvious suicide mission you know he does still go on <laughs> it's, a suicide it's, it's mission pretty clear in the movie <laughs> in the movie it's like you know just run up against like an orc court like basically uh <laughs> it's, it's it's really bad basically osgiliath wasn't actually taken yet they just knew that it would soon be yeah. you you know, yeah. and so he like went to defend it and then was routed and did retreat. But it wasn't like he just like did a suicide charge into a. And, and, <laughs> it's no Blackgate Hobbit charge. Right? It's no Blackgate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, nothing like that. I do think there are, like I said, there's a there's kind of this spectrum between the heroes. And, and who are true villains. And there's kind of this group that's in the middle where they're sort of neutral. There is a group of four characters specifically I want to talk about that I would say have a have a spectrum of selfish to self-interested. And that makes them sort of villainous, but not quite. They're more neutral. The, the two big ones that come to mind that are on the hero side would be Theoden and Elrond. And so I think both of those... Interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think both of those characters, they aren't heroes, I, I wouldn't say. Because both of them kind of fuck stuff up <laughs> at one point <laughs> or another. Um <laughs> By being self-interested, right? And so they're not fully selfish, but they are specifically doing things that benefit their people, right? And, and that's kind of what's important to them. And, and like, they, they are leaders, right? Like They're leaders, they, That's yeah. what they're supposed to kind of do. Yeah, there's honor in that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But they're not willing to make that sacrifice of themselves and of their, of their people initially until... Until kind of like the the final hour or whatever, right? Like Theoden makes that retreat to Helm's Deep that is like ill-advised. And he's like, but this is what I have to do to like protect my people. And the rest of the fellowship are like, dude, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what we need to be doing right now. Yeah. You know, uh, Elrond holds out his like support of the fight, right? Like the good fight or whatever. And he only kind of like, he helps out at Helm's Deep. He realizes his mistake. But it, the elves are not present in the fight against uh, the battle of Minas Tirith or the battle at the Black Gate, except for two of Elrond's sons. He sends like two of his sons to help. This will be fine. Yeah, he's like, these guys are good. You guys are going to love them. They're great. <laughs> but like, he doesn't send, he doesn't really send the elves out in force. Right. You know, at, at any point in the series. It's almost like it's not our fight. Right. right? Yeah. Like, he's we, like, we're just going to go west, guys. Like, like peace, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we, we were kind of joking about it in the last episode where like when we were playing War of the Ring, where. Rohan wasn't able to fight because they weren't quote unquote at war, which is a board game mechanic. Yeah. And I think that that is exemplified in this where it's like, like, yes, I can send my forces to help your fight, but it's not my fight. It's not my fight. It's yeah. not my fight. My people have not been affected yet. So why should I send my people to die? Right. Which like totally understandable from a leader's perspective, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, they're looking at that short term, the quarterly rating, of, <laughs> yeah. of the leader right yeah so what, what what do the stockholders want yeah what do the stockholders want we need short-term gains yeah to pump up the share price that's right wait no oh, no. <laughs> no but but like it, it's hard to see the long-term effects of hey yeah. if I, I my my people will die if i help you 
Right. Why should I help you? Right. And Elrond, I think the other place where he shows selfishness, immense selfishness, is with Arwen. Right. Yeah. Which, first of all, understandable. Yeah. Right. That's his daughter, and she's immortal. And he's like, dude, you gotta stay like with me. Like, if you don't, you're gonna like actually die and like that's not something that we do <laughs> yeah th- we don't do that we don't do that that's what like they do like what are you doing right um but he actually like in doing that he directly inhibits Ar- aragorn from kind of claiming his title and becoming isildur's heir and becoming the king of gondor he gets in the way of that right oh uh, yeah, by yeah. not reforging yeah. the sword yep. but you know but he, he's doing all of these things to kind of put these barriers because he wants arwen to be safe right so his kind of selfishness his self-interest is kind of hurting the rest of the party theoden does that too but he actually kind of recovers from it right and, and elrond does the same eventually he forges the sword and he gives up arwen right and there's this really heartfelt sort of parting for the two of them theoden he eventually he does answer the call right and actually in the books there's not this whole where you know where was gondor and and where you know i'm not gonna go help gondor like there i'm where me. were you when west fort fell? when the west fort burned and all this yeah um actually at this and actually um denethor didn't have in the books denethor didn't have any really quarrel with lighting the oh shoot what's beacons. it called the beacons yeah they, there's a there's a name it's like the arman mirror or something like that i forget the name of the, there, there's a there's a name for the series of torches the stack of wood the stack of wood the yeah. bonfires <laughs> um he lights that and without having to be told by gandalf or secretly lit by pippin or whatever um <laughs> epic epic yeah <laughs> but he he lights it and immediately theoden's like yeah let's fucking go right and he gets the crew together and he's like we're gonna summon a bunch of horsemen we're gonna go um so he kind of has that like redemption where he kind of comes out of his like self-interest the ex- the farther extent of that of where selfishness gets you from neutral and we're starting to get into villains i still think not quite a villain but starting to get towards that two characters uh denethor who we've already talked about yep straight selfishness he's actively hurting people for his own gain um, and he's even like hurting his own people hurting his own points. people Absolutely. it's not like a i'm doing this to help my people it's like a this is me yeah for sure <laughs> yeah for sure um and then Gollum. oh yeah yeah right where i think Gollum is not quite a villain i think we think of him as a villain but he also like is one of the main reasons that frodo got to mordor yep yeah. and he like he was put in a shitty situation right like yeah. it's it's I don't think Gollum is the villain. The ring is the villain. The ring corrupts. The ring breaks sure. down. The ring degrades. Sure. And like, yeah, maybe like Smeagol is not, but Gollum is or something like yeah, that. You know, but like Gollum is a product of the ring for sure. And so it, yeah, like, nature I, versus nurture, man. Yeah, and I, <laughs> exactly. So now that we're going to dive into this uh, nature versus nurture, uh, <laughs> no, but like, I, I, I think if like Deagle never found the ring, Smeagol would never be a villain. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like Sauron's like so evil. He's like right. He literally is corrupting other people, right? Right. And and I think you see that exemplified in uh, Smeagol Gollum, who held the ring for five hundred years. Yeah, and he's driven. Uh, he's driven a lot by need and desire and by fear, right? Where he yeah. We're constantly seeing these scenes where he doesn't attack Frodo and Sam, even though he wants to, but he's kind of like scared of them, right? He's scared of the power of the wing, the ring bearer, and also like just the physical power of hobbits because he actually is sort of descended from a hobbit-like creature so he's actually not that strong and so and he's also withered and, and he's frail and all of these things and so his every decision that Gollum makes throughout the entire series is driven by his need for the ring it's not by an inherent selfishness it's not by a, a desire to help Sauron he's not corrupted by Sauron in any way he's not like actively trying to inhibit the destruction of the ring for the purpose of defeating Sauron except that he just wants the ring to survive because he wants the ring because it's precious to him kind of thing um so I, I think that's a that's a it's easy to see Gollum as a 
villain, but he's actually this really intricate and interesting character that yeah. that Tolkien created, and that kind of gives this like it, it's this vision of like this is what could happen to Frodo. Yeah, you know? and and I love the dichotomy of when you you get it really well in the movies when you see like Gollum talking to Smeagol in the water, mm, right? Like mm-hmm. you see the reflection, you see this yeah. internal struggle, or it's like it's almost like good versus evil battle inside of Gollum. Yeah, I think they nailed him. Yeah. I think that's one part where the movies just shine. Yeah, the, that scene, the scene where he's like he's like looking from one side of a tree to another. Yeah, you know, and Andy and Andy Circus is that his name? I think so. Yeah, I think Andy Circus is his last. He just nailed him. You know, it's so good. Like every time in the audiobook when he speaks in like Gollum's voice, I'm like, that's not Gollum's voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not what he sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, we're moving along the spectrum from hero to not necessarily a villain to villain. I think the villain, kind of, like, before we get all the way to Sauron, is Saruman. Yeah. Which, like, can I just say, as a child, or, like, as a kid, when I was first reading that book, that was so confusing. Like, that was so confusing. You could have picked something that started with an A. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was just like... Wait, how is he in Isengard? Wait, what's happening? Right. Are these the same people? What's it? It, it was your mind, like my mind, it just reads like the first two letters, the last two letters, and skips over everything in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks like that same person. But Saruman is the White Wizard, which, which like Gandalf is Gandalf the Gray, comes back as Gandalf the White, which dethrones Saruman. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit, yeah. And so this is actually, I think this is where I'm going to use my my rabbit hole. So I, oh, thank God, because I was running out of ideas to talk about. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> ways to describe it. Yeah, really. Ways to describe it. Yeah. Ways to describe it. Yeah. So, um, so my, uh, in order to understand the relationship between Gandalf and Saruman, you really have to understand the whole pantheon, and that's really what my what my rabbit hole is. Is like what what are the gods and what are who who are the wizards that that kind of thing so that's what we're oh, going to talk cool. about a little bit. I'm excited. Yeah. Let's do it. So, first of all, it's important to know that there's this top dude named Eru, which I didn't actually look up the uh, pronunciation of, but it's E R U with like a umla. That's how I would say it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but there's like a weird like, you know, two dots or whatever like umla. Um, umlaut around, oh, above the U. So, it might be different than that. I'm sorry if I butchered it. So, it's German. Yeah. <laughs> He's a German god. Um, but anyway, he is he is like basically god. Like that that's the easiest way to think of him. He's the okay. sort of creator and he does not have a physical form on the earth. Okay. Or on Middle-earth or whatever. Um, so he created the Valar. And so the Valar we're fairly familiar with. If you've ever seen that um Steve Colbert clip where he's with but he's like question on who the Valar are and he's like do you mean like the Valar of water like what about blah 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 or do you mean the Valar <laughs> of wind or whatever. And so they are sort of angelic type creatures but extremely powerful okay and and they would sort of feel like minor gods and they have there's like the smith and there's like the valar of water and they have sort of like attributes oh okay and they actually sort of created the physical world and are able to physically exist on it and so when we say things go west to valinor valinor being land of valar right that's where they physically reside is it is it on like the same plane like if anybody got in a boat they could go to valar uh, it's sort of implied that it's like a hidden passage or something oh, okay. that they're okay. like, you have to like kind of know how to get there. So I don't know if it's just like magically protected or like what kind of prevents just anybody from going West and getting there. Um, but the elves have that ability to go there. And how many Valar are there? I'm sorry. There are, you're fine. There are 15 initially 15. and there are, and one, but one of them is Melkor. Um, Melkor 
is becomes the original Dark Lord. And so the first age is fought when Melkor tries to come to power and is defeated. Um, and when he transitions to becoming sort of like an evil, like fallen Valar or whatever, he becomes he, he gets a new name and is known as Morgoth. I've heard Morgoth before. Yeah. And basically anything bad starts with <laughs> M.O.R. That's, right? Yeah. Mordor. Right. Mordor. Murder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, so Morgoth, he's a, he's a big baddie. Under the Valar, so there, so there's like Eru top dude, there's Valar, which are sort of the minor gods. Under them are sort of angels um, known as the Maiar. Okay. And the Maiar are, are they're powerful beings, um, but they aren't quite to the level of, of the Valar, of like minor gods. But they do they have a lot. They can't create a world. Of, yeah, they can't create a world, <laughs> but they do have a lot of power to influence it. They have a lot of inherent power. Uh, both all of the Astari, all of the wizards, so Sauron, or Sa- sorry, Sauron, and Gandalf um, from sort of the good side are Mayar. And also Sauron is a Mayar who followed Melkor and sort of oh, fell. Okay. Um, and he is actually an extremely strong Mayar. He's considered to be almost a Valar, but not quite Sauron is. Um, and then also all of the Balrog are Mayar that sort of fell and became these devil-like cool. creatures. So okay. that's why the, the fight between the Balrog and Gandalf is so important because they're basically on the same like power level. Oh, okay. Sense. I didn't realize that. Yeah, because they're all Mayar. Okay. Um, but the Balrogs are Mayar that followed Melkor, who became Morgoth, Morgoth. and they they tried to like corrupt everything. Do we know how many Mayar there are? Mayar? No, they're they're sort of unnumbered. Okay. So they're numerous enough to not have a number. Okay. Anyway, cool. um, except for the ones that you are hearing about are the very powerful ones, and they all have a physical form. Yes, yes, they can. And they are also typically, they don't have to be, but they are typically associated with one of the Valar. Um, so like Sauron. Okay, like um, a knight. Yeah, know, yeah. It, it, that, no, I that would be a good of. way to think of it. Is They sort of have an, an allegiance or an affinity towards one of the Valar. Yeah. Um, and so Sauron actually follows um, the Valar who is the smith, who is also the same Valar that Sauron initially followed. And so they both followed the same Valar, the smith, and that's kind of what gave them that power of industry right that both okay that's how he knew how to forge rings yeah that's how he knew how to forge rings that's how they kind of knew how to create and they had these wheels and these furnaces and they turned mordor into this uh machine of industry and he turned he turned isengard right Saruman turned isengard into this and it's because they both followed initially the same uh valar who was the smith there's so much to this world (laughs) there's a bunch there's a bunch. Sauron also, by the way, is a secondary name. He was initially known as Mayron, which I find very confusing. <laughs> but I, yeah. <laughs> sort of like Mayar combined with Sauron, you get Mayron, and that's, that was his initial name. So anyway, what ended up happening is, so First Age we've talked about already. First Age is Melkor becomes Morgoth. He tries to take over the world. The Valar fight him, and then he falls, right? He's the initial fall of the initial Dark Lord. And his, when he was defeated, his power was essentially like disseminated. It became sort of part of the earth, but he had no longer had like a coalescence of spirit, right? Sauron in the second age tried the same thing. He created the rings of power, like we've already talked about in the second age. And he um, again was defeated and his spirit was also again sort of spread, but he had the one ring that sort of kept his spirit bound so that he wasn't fully defeated. Because I I, I read something about that where like, if the one ring is destroyed, Sauron is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like that that's like almost a focus for him right. to like bind himself. So you're saying that I'm sorry, all these M names. The, yeah. <laughs> the, Melkor, the first, the, Melkor the didn't have something to like focus on. So he was That's power. right. Got that's it. right. So okay. he kind of fell apart. So Sauron learned from the mistakes of Melkor. That's right. <laughs> okay, that's right. It. He learned. He's like, I'm going to make a one ring. You know, this is a really good idea. <laughs> so then we're into the third age, right? And sort of some like dark forces start to 
sort of arise, coalesce, that sort of thing. Because again, Sauron was defeated at the end of the second age and we enter the third age, right? So a thousand years into the third age, the Valar decide, hey, there are some evil forces kind of moving in this land. We don't know if it's remnants of the Nazgul, if like they're, or the ring race, if they're moving around. They had all thought that Sauron was destroyed. So they're like, it can't be him. But they decide to send an emissary of five of the Mayar to sort of investigate and ensure that 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 good kind of prevails, right? So they give them this mission. And these five emissaries, these five Mayar that they send are the five wizards. Oh, uh-huh, okay. So they're sort of given this... I didn't this... realize there were five. There are five, yeah. Okay, so cool. they're um, the five of them. The first one who volunteered is Saruman, um, who he has a different name, which doesn't matter. Typical. Typical Saruman. <laughs> he volunteers. He's like, I'll go. Um, and they're all like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so... <laughs> little did they know. <laughs> yeah, little did they know that was a terrible idea. There are five other wizards. Three of them are named Gandalf, Saruman, Radagast, the brown, um, who comes up in The Hobbit and is absolutely butchered. He's nothing like what is shown in The Hobbit. It is despicable he's totally different um but he has sort of an affinity for where saruman has like this affinity for for industry and 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 forging forging and the smith and power and all that radagast has has sort of an affinity for nature and for animals right so he's he's sort of that's that's where he ends up that's where he ends up Two of the other wizards are known as the two blue wizards, and they're actually not named. Oh, two blue wizards. Yeah, there are I, two I would blue just wizards. Assume that they all had a different color. Yeah, they have a. They have an. One of them has an elven name, or not an elven name, a Valerian name, and he was. <laughs> sounds very um, uh, Game of Thrones, right? Valerian yeah. Steel. He has a. He has a. He has a name, and he was the second to kind of volunteer, and he brought his friend, and who also has a name, but again, they don't have like a Middle Earth name equivalent of like Gandalf or something like that. Um, they went east, and so they're actually like east of Mordor. Oh, okay. They're like east and south. Like where, So when they talk about the Haradrir and the, the Easterlings and the Southerlings, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where they are. Okay. And so it's believed that they, one of two things happened. They either sort of failed their mission. They got distracted and forgot to help prevent. <laughs> oh, sh- oh, shit. shit. Oh, man, that was our job. <laughs> oh, oh, God, this <laughs> or, is bad. <laughs> yeah, either that or they were actively trying to kind of disrupt Sauron's plans, but he was so prominent in that region that they weren't able to. Got it. But they maybe kind of helped prevent the power of like the men that helped Sauron from being as strong as they could have been, if that makes sense, because they were over there. So that's kind of like who they were. And then Gandalf was actually the last to volunteer and he didn't want to go. He believed himself to be too weak to directly confront Sauron. um, But the Valar believed that he could. And so they said, that is exactly the reason why you need to go. That's a reoccurring theme in fantasy, I think. For sure. Where, where like, the reluctant hero is, mm-hmm. I think, how we've described it before. For sure. And, like, it's really cool to see that because a lot of the times when you're reading through a story, you see the reluctant hero as the main character of the story or yep. someone associated with that. But you never... I guess I, I never knew this, right? That Gandalf was the reluctant hero yeah. or the reluctant person. But it's right. kind of cool to see because once he's there... He embraces it and he can't necessarily come across as reluctant because then he's ineffective. Right. And so that's just cool. It is cool. (laughs) And this is all stuff, by the way, that is not described in The Lord of the Rings. It's described in other other Tolkien works. Um, So this, a lot of this specifically comes from Unfinished Tales, um, the section that talks about the Astari, which is the name of the wizards. Okay. Sort of that emissary group that they send. So they are forbidden to match Sauron's power or to dominate people with force or with fear. That's kind of their their charge. So that's why they aren't able to sort of like fully reveal their powers. But it becomes really important for Gandalf, who again is sort of known as the Grey, right? And so he goes through all this stuff. He figures out what's going on. Um, there's a scene in The Hobbit where he actually goes to Dol Galdor and he finds Sauron, who is sort of starting to coalesce his power. He convinces the White Council, which consists of Saruman, Gandalf, and a lot of the elven lords to 
uh, launch a mission on Dolgaldor. This is where Gandalf is, by the way, when he sort of departs from Bilbo in The Hobbit. Like this is what Gandalf is sort of like. Remember we said Gandalf's a busy dude. Yeah. Like this yeah, is what he's, he's got doing. Some, he's got some stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. He goes to Dol Galdor, realizes that Sauron is there and that he's back. He's like, oh shit. He attack. He gets some people to attack him. Sauron then flees from Mirkwood into Mordor, right? And and so then we go into the elements of the uh, Fellowship, and this is kind of one of the last things I'll talk about here, um, about <laughs> in this rabbit hole where Gandalf fights the Balrog. This is where we kind of started this conversation. How did Gandalf become the White? Right, and what's the difference between the gray okay. and the white? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so Saruman was the first of the Astari. He was kind of supposed to be the leader of the group. When Gandalf died, he actually he actually did physically die. Both actually, he died both in in spirit and in his physical body when he fought the Balrog. Okay, um, that battle it isn't discussed or it's not really shown in the movie. But from the time he falls off the bridge of Khazad-dûm until he smote his ruin upon the mountainside right <laughs> yeah, um yeah. is 10 days he he fights the balrog oh, consistent he fights him 100 percent of the time for 10 days straight and he actually dies because of that yeah yeah and then that I would scene, too. yeah right <laughs> that scene where you see he's like i traveled across all these times and eons and, you, and in the movie you see him he actually he does like i said physically and spiritually die and he's brought back by eru so the top god he's not brought back by oh, one of the okay. he's brought back by the top god who's basically saying you did such a good job at following your mission and you're actually the only wizard of the five that were sent who is doing your mission that you get to go back and i'm going to allow you to use more of your mayar powers than had previously been kind of like limited to you that's so badass yeah that is so cool it is cool <laughs> and so that's why he comes back and he's able to sort of project more of his powers i don't know if i've said this already but he followed the valar of like fire and light and so that's why he's able to kind of he has that affinity for that right where he he's able to kind of like show he he you just see him fight with light you see him fight with fire all the time which hold on yeah like sight sight we're gonna like burrow over to my rabbit hole naria there's a connection of the rabbit holes there's a connection of the rabbit holes naria (laughs) is the ring of fire which is the one that gandalf wields it's so cool that is really cool yeah so he's like he's like super leveled up he put all of his stats in like fire and (laughs) yeah oh that's that's awesome okay yeah so that's why that's how he kind of like levels up to like uh gandalf the white um and saruman is basically stripped of some of those powers because he didn't follow that and so you actually see that over the course of like the two towers, the events of the two towers, and specifically in Return of the King, when you see sort of the defeated Saruman, that he's lost, his staff is broken, right? Yeah. And he's yeah, lost yeah. all of his powers, and he it's because he's sort of lost the favor of the Valar and ultimately of like Eru, the the top god, or whatever you want to call him. I thought he fell off the tower. He did not fall off the <laughs> fucking tower. Okay, so this is really important to talk about, because this is like one of the ways where the movie makes me mad. So Saruman does not fall off the tower, right? Saruman... <laughs> actually lives in the tower after the Battle of Isengard, and the Ents are sort of keeping him as a prisoner. It becomes really important later when at the end of Return of the King, <laughs> um, Treebeard is like, well, you know, I let him go. And Gandalf's like, what do you mean you let him go? <laughs> and he's like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a tree, and I really can't keep something prisoner. So when he said that he wanted to go, I said, well, you're pretty much healed. You can't cause any more damage. I'm just going to let you go, right? You know how that becomes really bad. <laughs> And we hinted at this all episode. So Saruman, I, do you want to tell it? Because I've been talking a lot. Do you want to tell it? Oh, basically when he goes back and takes over Hobbiton? Yeah. 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 So this is just like completely cut out of the movies. Everything. So like, like what is it? Like halfway through Return of the King? The yeah. Ring? Well, yeah. Just about over halfway. The ring is destroyed. Yes. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Halfway. It's almost dead halfway. Yeah. <laughs> the and ring and is then like the they, they go back. Aragorn's crowned king. Uh, there's a wedding there's a wedding uh they go back and they celebrate like 
Bilbo's like nine thousandth birthday or something <laughs> like that. And then like every they, they go back to Hobbiton mm-hmm. and all the hobbits are like, Yeah, you can't come here, like because like the the king says you can't be here and they're like, What king? Which is also kind of interesting because it's kind of a tie back to the Fellowship of the Ring when mm. Sam is looking into the mirror of Erised. Um yeah. <laughs> it's not the mirror of Erised. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um and sees like the Shire burning. And this is, you know, this is the thing that you see in almost every single fantasy novel that goes more than three books. There's something that could be, has been, or will never be type yeah. thing. Um, and he sees the Shire burning. And this is kind of what Saruman did after Treebeard let him go. Yeah. Is he came in with Wormtongue, who, like, in my quick synopsis, I said, you know, the person you thought was dead was killed by the person, the other person you thought was dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, like, basically, there's a whole nother battle of Bywater where the hobbits, like, take up arms against Saruman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they win. They're going to keep him alive. But then Wormtongue comes and stabs Saruman in the back. And mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a long falling action, I think, what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just from, like, a, getting to our, like, story arc a little bit. It's, like, it, you feel like at first that the destruction of the ring is the climax. And 100%. I think it, is. it is the climax of yeah, the Yeah, it is the climax of the story. It just has this really long falling action that's like half of another book i think cutting that out of the movie like i said i'm mad about it because of just like oh saruman falls off a tower and like he's done or whatever but then i think about it and i'm like uh i could see how it kind of makes sense in a movie where it would be like you would have the climax right in the middle of the movie and then you'd be like wait this movie's still going you know yeah (laughs) no yeah so i understand it but i'm still mad about it because i think it (laughs) because i think it's a really important specifically for sam it's a it's sort of like sam's almost personal climax you know yeah that is true because like I don't, I don't know if we said it in a break or we were talking about it earlier, but Sam is, you know, the mayor of Hobbiton for seven straight consecutive terms. So, yeah. yeah like, that's people his... love Sam. Sam's a good dude. Like... Yeah. And he finally gets to, like, be a gardener, right? He takes his magic dirt that Galadriel gave him, <laughs> and he rebuilds Hobbiton, which has been, like, burned to the ground by Saruman. Yeah, tough luck for Hobbiton. Yeah, yeah tough luck for Hobbiton. <laughs> tough luck. So, okay, so when you said that the Balrog is kind of on the same level as the wizards, mm-hmm. that is... There are more Balrog is not like one thing. There are more than one Balrogs. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like again, it's like a fallen Mayar. So the idea would be that there are multiple Balrogs. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and potentially other like iterations of what a Mayar that had fallen could be. Oh, I've always okay. wondered if that's like maybe what Gandalf says when he or like is thinking when he says like there are deep things that dwell in the earth or whatever. You know, he's always kind of like mysterious about those like huh. those things. Is uh are all Balrogs the same, or is it just like a super like epic coincidence that it's like the Balrog of fire, <laughs> and like Gandalf who has like I'm not 100 percent sure. I think, I think if I'm remembering correctly, and and so I wouldn't quote me on this, but I believe that they are like generally the same in like uh, in like power and form. Um, but oh, the, okay, there's yeah. it's not like a strict like it's not it's not like it's a creature it's not like it's a race right like balrogs don't mate <laughs> that would be terrifying there are no right? there are no baby balrogs as far as i know okay also like i just want to throw out that i think one of my favorite or like the funniest parts of the whole series is that the ints have lost the ent women yeah so the ent wives mate anymore have you seen them <laughs> <laughs> which like i think sam does yeah yeah he does he does in the the, the, the beginning the, he talks about the trees moving or something yes, like that. So yeah. it's like, oh, the ant, the ant women are over there. Yeah, I, I believe that that's true. <laughs> that the the ant wives are like up like near Hobbiton. 
Because like, and also like Treebird at one point I think says like they look like bushes. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen a lot of them. Yeah. Know. Yeah, there, there's just so much to dive into in this whole series, right? Like, right. like I found myself going down rabbit holes when I was researching my rabbit hole, right? <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, wow. And then when you talk about how ants have affected the earth, how old that they are and everything, like, there's just so much. So, yeah. what? At like, one point, like, Treebeard refers to Gandalf as, like, young Gandalf yeah. or something. And you realize that's because, like, Gandalf's birthday is around, like, year 1000 of, like, the third <laughs> age. And Treebeard is much older than yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> because there's the year of treats, right? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they, they've been around for a while. And don't be hasty. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, like, how I want to cap this discussion off okay. is out of specifically the Lord of the Rings, like, the, the three books, The Fellowship, Two Towers, and The Return of the King, what is your favorite scene or moment oh, of man. this epic series? Oh, man. Why did you do that? Because I like to see you suffer. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know the answer. <laughs> man, because there's so many moments like just when I when I read through it that I, that I get goosebumps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Like it, that like it that it raises the goose flesh. <laughs> it's such a good question. And it's a really tough one to pick like just one. But I think if I had to pick a scene... I love the Battle of Minas Tirith. Oh yeah, and it's epic. It's so epic, and and there's a lot of really important things that happen. And I think first of all, we haven't talked a lot about Aragorn tonight, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> but he has, I think, probably the best arc, right? Where he has like this yeah. this arc of like self actualization, where he's kind of like coming into his role that he doesn't want yep. as the king of Gondor, right, and the heir of Isildur and all that. And he has to sort of have this moment with the army of dead where he has to own it right he has to say like this is who i am and i can actually do this for you i can release you from this oath that you owe and so he does that and then in the in the background right and so he like wins this like background fight where yeah. people are yeah you know and, and and defeats kind of the the navy that's coming up the river and then he takes kind of the lead boat and he rides it up the river to Minas Tirith. And so there's this battle of Minas Tirith going on where there's all, already been all these ebbs and flows. And I think the reason I like it is all of the characters kind of have their like their personal climax besides like Frodo and Sam. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where like Pippin is like trying to save Faramir, right? Uh, Mary gets to fight the Witch King. Yeah. Right. Oh, Eowyn fights. I am no man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> exactly. so epic. Eowyn fights the Witch King. Gandalf also fight. Everyone's just fighting the Witch King. Gandalf fights the Witch King. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then he saves Faramir. And then he goes back into the field. And Eomer has all these epic fights where he's like riding though you hear him to save like the city and all that. And then up the river, you know, they see this force coming. And they see all these ships with like black sails and all that. And they're and Eomer's basically charged the Rohirrim like across the city and is kind of like scattered all these forces but he's at the river and he turns and this like force is coming up and Aramir actually gives up he like gets off of his horse or something and like plants his flag and he's like this is where we're gonna make our final stand because we've <laughs> uh, lost and then he looks at like the lead ship such, such confidence right <laughs> right such confidence well he's like surrounded he's yeah, like he's got no, all yeah. of the forces of Mordor on one side he has this force of uh Herodream coming up the river at him and he like looks and he actually in the book he starts laughing and it's because he looks at the lead ship and Aragorn has raised the flag of the king <laughs> and it's not the flag of Gondor it's the flag of That's the king so cool. specifically and he's that like so cool. it's such a good moment it's like goosebumps all yeah, over you know absolutely. every single time and then he's like never mind and he like gets back on his horse <laughs> and like they you know Aragorn comes off and he has all of the Dunedain with him and like he, he takes people out and it's it's just such a good 
scene. Like I said, where every it feels like to me like every character has like kind of their personal climax before they go to like the gates of Mordor. I, I, I get really excited about that scene. I love it. No, absolutely. I think mine... Well, okay, so I'm going to... I have to caveat, like, I think almost or a lot of people's favorite scene is going to be like, you know, I can't carry the ring, but I can't carry you. This am like that, that like, you know, I I have chill bumps right now. Just like talking about it, which also like, is kind of interesting because Sam did carry the ring for a while. Right. But like he knew his first test to destroy. Yeah. Um, When he says that he's saying he is, he is actually since carrying the ring asked Frodo one more time. Can I take this from you? And Frodo says, don't ask me that again. Yeah. You know, because he knows like what's going to happen if he asks him one more time. Yep. No. So like, I, I love that scene and that's kind of like my serious scene that like, you know, I just like, mm-hmm. I, I connect with, like, it, it's just such an epic scene. Yeah. But like, I think one of my favorite, it's not necessarily a scene, but an underlying theme is the, the bond that Legolas and Gimli form. Oh um, yeah. Where like, it's really special. Like, and it's also kind of interesting, you know, written in the fifties, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's this metaphor for you know, racism, right? Like it's, absolutely. 100%. It, it's this, you know, two different people don't necessarily get along. Right. And they're put in this fellowship and they're like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. Like, I, I yeah. like that. And like my like, I so I guess like I can boil it down to like the competitions that they have yeah. where it's like, oh, you know, I how many did you get? I was like, I got 43. Oh, you got one more than me. Like, yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing where like and then like, you know, they, they talk about how I think one of the most powerful scenes in that is kind of like the inciting scene when they're entering the forest of Lothlorien mm-hmm. where they basically say, all the elves say, we, we will take you to the city. However, the dwarf needs to be blindfolded. Uh-huh. Um, and th- there's like this tension going on. And basically what ends up happening is everyone gets blindfolded. Yeah. And even Legolas, like yeah. even the elf. Um, yeah. And he's like, hey, we're on this. And it's like the first dwarf that's ever seen the city of Lothlorien or like the city in Lothlorien. Yeah. The connection that's formed there between the elves and the dwarfs, I think, is like, for sure. you know, a, a really powerful um, underlying current of the story. Yeah. Um, Something I'd like forgotten until I reread the series is that after the battle at the Black Gate and after the crowning of the king at Minas Tirith and the wedding, Legolas and Gimli go back to Helm's Deep and they explore the caves that are behind Helm's Deep. Yeah, because basically Gimli is like trying to show Legolas like the beauty of like underground. How very cool. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then immediately after that, they go back to Lothlorien. Or wait, no, they go back to Fangorn. I think they go back to Fangorn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and they explore that together so that Legolas is kind of showing him the beauty of like Woodland Realm or whatever. That's so cool. Yeah, it's just this really precious kind of friendship yeah. that they build over the course of the over yeah. the course of the series. Yeah, absolutely. What a deep topic. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much. You want to go watch the extended versions? With yeah, me? absolutely. 100%. <laughs> let's do it. I don't need to be in the work in the morning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just take tomorrow off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean like like we we talked for a good bit. Like I I loved every second of it and we didn't yeah. even scratch the tip. I know. Of There's so much that, here. that goes into Middle Earth. And that so, so like much here. such a such an awesome like so Kind of like we're we're on social media, we're we're everywhere, and we kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on Lord of the Rings. What's your favorite part? You know, what what's a rabbit hole that you have dived into? Tell us about it. Oh, that'd be a good one. Yeah. yeah. What's what's your personal rabbit hole? Yeah. What's you your would like yeah. to, that you would like to dive into? Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us fantasy and some flights. We're also uh, our website, which we'll have all the show notes, um, is fantasyandsoflights.com. You can check us out. And then definitely uh, check us out on the Discord. And yep. so I think our next book episode 
And so what we're doing right now is we're doing the series analysis and we're going to space these out. So Lord of the Rings, we've considered a, you know, beware there are spoilers of Lord of the Rings <laughs> in the Fantasy and Some Fights podcast. Yep. The next book episode is the is the analysis of Ender's Game, yes. which is not a core book. Mm-hmm. And so you have one month from today <laughs> <laughs> to read Ender's Game if you haven't or reread if you have. Yep. And, uh, and just Ender's Game we're talking about. We're not ju- talking about Ender's Shadow, any of the series. We're just talking about Ender's any Game. Any of the arcs or anything like that. Because, I mean, there's at this point, there's 16 to 20 books in that series. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's absurd. But specifically, just Ender's Game. Yep. Um, it's a pretty quick read. Yeah. Well, it would be, I'm sure it would be a shorter episode than this one. There's yeah. much less content to cover. Yeah, absolutely. But we're going to kind of do the same thing. If you haven't. It is both in both of our top fives. Oh, so, yeah. In, in some form. You have Ender's Shadow. Right? I have Ender's Shadow. Yeah. <laughs> but absolutely. really looking forward to it. So. So check that out, uh, read it, and get ready. We're gonna put a channel up on the Discord to kind of talk through that. I'm I'm really excited. Like I'm really I, excited I, for Ender's I, Game. It'll this be a was fun a one. this was a really fun episode. I I enjoyed Absolutely. every second of it. Absolutely, I'm happy to do it with you. So if you don't have anything, <laughs> I, I think I've gotten my my uh, mind's worth out. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Well, cheers, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>